welcome back to another episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Kelsey Walker. She is the author of Face Everything and Rise, and she's also the founder of the nonprofit from the Green Desk. Um, today we're going to hear her story and how she came to write her book and where the nonprofit came from. Hey, Kelsey, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we talked a lot before we recorded, and you have such an inspiring story, and I'm so glad that my listeners can hear it today. Well, I really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, I know that it can, my story can be a little hard to swallow sometimes, and so I appreciate the opportunity to tell it. Um, and there, just we'll do a little trigger warning just in case there yeah. is some few things that are a little hard to hear um, in her story. So just so you guys know that we will be talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Of course. So if you want to just start from the beginning um, and kind of tell us your story and kind of lead into how you wrote the book and founded the nonprofit. Absolutely. So Face Everything and Rise is a memoir about my journey with abortion, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and finding the strength to rise, even with that unparalleled grief and struggle. Uh, my story started back in 2017. We found out that our, we were 17 weeks pregnant when we found out that our baby, there was anything wrong with our baby and had to uh, go to a maternal field specialist to find out that um, she had osteogenesis imperfecta type two, which is the fatal version of brittle bone disease. So if, if you're not an expert on brittle bone disease, I, I don't recommend Googling the pictures because they are scary. Um, but type two made all of the bones in our daughter's body break into 90 degree angles. And it also made it so that her ribs were crushing in on her heart and her lungs. Um, so they weren't developing correctly. Um, the life expectancy for, for babies like her, um, which her, her name was Hope, um, is 30 days at the most out of, out of womb, if they make it that far. And if they make it that far because of the way the lungs aren't developing, they suffocate. And so we had to make the hard decision to terminate the pregnancy. And it, it was hard, incredibly hard, incredibly painful um, on, the, on the heart. And I guess, you know, it really, the loss was hard, but it really inspired me to, to help others. Um, sorry for pausing. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Take your time. Yeah. Um, so what I really found from it, um, was that, and we can talk about the, or sorry, I'm pa pausing and all that jazz. Um, but what I really discovered through this journey was how much the, um, how supportive the providers were yeah. for me. Um, they were very passionate people that uh, performed the procedure, which was a DNE. Uh, 
Um, people have probably heard of D- the DNC, which yeah. is dilation Cooteridge and, and the abortion pill. Um, mine was the next level because it was at 18 weeks. It was dilation and evacuation. Um, and it's an all-day event. Um, you are um, given something called midazolam uh, during the last part of it. Um, but from 7 a.m. until about 4 p.m., um, you are induced into labor, basically. And so you feel contractions, you, yeah. uh, you know, you, you're present for it. And the challenge is that with government regulations um, and the stipulations they've put on these procedures, they asked me six times if I wanted to have go through with the procedure. And, you know, it wasn't their fault to, to keep triggering me and making me upset. It was what the law says they need to do. Um, you know, it's not their fault that they gave me midazolam, which makes you sleepy and helps you forget what's going on, but for it to not work, (laughs) that wasn't their fault. That's the way the you know, the way it's been told that you get, have it done. And again, you know, it's the fact that we spend all this time debating whether or not it's moral, as opposed to developing the technology that, and developing the procedure that, um, you know, instead of my daughter's body being pulled apart in front of me, um, you know, other ways that, you know, she could have been um, delivered to me whole and affirm us to be able to hold her. So I, you know, while I know that it was the right decision for our family, because she was, you know, if there's a whole debate about whether or not babies feel things and things like that, you know, it is my belief that she was suffering from all those broken bones. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can only imagine. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't hold the providers responsible. They were very compassionate. They gave me, um, a, they gave me a a picture or not picture, a a print of her footprints as well as, um, a small blanket that they held her in. Um, they, you know, cried with me. They, um, you know, one nurse, I remember while the procedure was going on, held my hand the whole time. And because they don't let your partners back there with you because they, yeah, (laughs) because they can't have the partners can't have the medication that you have. Oh, that makes sense. So they, you know, basically are trying to just, if there's trauma, that's there, they're just traumatizing one person instead of two. Um, you know, the nurse kept her eyes locked on mine and, and, um, you know, held me there. I hadn't experienced such compassionate care and what traumatized me were, were the regulations that the government put in place, um, which precipitated my PTSD that I have now. Um, and what was hard is that, um, we, you know, when you have an abortion, it's not done in a hospital, it's done in a clinic because of funding 
you know, red, so federal ridiculous. restrictions on funding. Yep. <laughs> um, so you like have, it's not even healthy or safe. Well, I mean, it, I guess it is because they keep it. Yeah, they there's definitely things in place to keep it safe, and the doctors are definitely you know paying attention and stuff. But you know, stuff happens. Um, right. And you know, for it to not be held in a hospital where you know extra emergency precautions can be taken is is really hard. Yeah. And you know what what is a little jarring or should be a lot jarring is that at the end of the procedure, they give you four phone numbers and these for support. And they tell you, don't stray from these phone numbers. And I learned the hard way. You don't stray from the phone numbers. Um, But the four phone numbers are the suicide hotline, the abortion support hotline, which is a lot like the suicide hotline. And then um, you have the emergency after hours hotline because if you know went, because of the procedure that you just went through, most hospitals are not capable of handling you as a patient if something emergency wise happens yeah. after. Um, so you get the emergency after hours phone number for the clinic, um, which you know to twofold <laughs> the fact that our other providers don't know how to handle it. And also the fact that, you know, what if, what if, you know, something happens and they don't answer, <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> life happens. Um, and finally, the last one was the psychiatrist phone number in Overland Park, um, which is the same town that I had the, the abortion in. Um, that was three hours away from the small town of Salina that I lived in. Um, and the reason they gave me a psychiatrist's phone number is because I, I was already predisposed to have depression. They knew this was going to be hard on me and they wanted to make sure that there was someone friendly that would be able to follow up with me. Um, but medication only goes so far. Um, and again, three hours to find a provider is, is painful. Um, so I tried looking off the script to find support and I found a, what I thought was an abortion support group, or at least was advertised as such in our newspaper. Yeah. When I called that phone number, um, it was a gentleman from a what I didn't know until I was kind of ambushed from a pro-life organization um, that took me to meet their pastor and kind of told me that I was going to go to hell for what I did. Um, You know, got, got in my face and all of that jazz and said that they would pray for my baby, but there was no hope for me. Um, And (laughs) what was also, yeah. Um, what was also hard is that I, re- I had reached out, you know, I, I was searching for, for God in that moment. Uh, I reached out to seven different um, churches to have my baby's ashes blessed because we got her, her body cremated. We were lucky enough that we got ashes back because baby's bones aren't dense enough to always get ashes back. Um, so we got, we did manage to get some back, but 
seven churches said no um, because she was the product of an abortion. They would not bless her ashes or hold up, you know, let us have services there. Um, I was working for a nonprofit at the time and there was no way that I could afford a traditional funeral for her. Yeah. Um, and it was with a resounding quiet roar that, um, churches said no, (laughs) (laughs) that I wouldn't have that opportunity to say goodbye. Um, So did they ask, so did they ask you like how she died? Is that, or how does that happen? Yeah. So I was honest with, and maybe that was the problem is that I was honest with the churches that I reached out to and the people that I reached out to, I just didn't feel like it, you know, and I felt the same way about like starting a GoFundMe for her, um, to get, to have like a funeral somewhere else was that if I didn't tell the story of what happened to her, what really happened to her, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it, like I should be reaching out for fundraising. I didn't feel like I should be asking someone to, you know, pray over her if they're not praying over all of her. And it's not, you didn't do anything wrong. And that's what's the sad part. You you almost saved her in a way because she wasn't going to make it long. No. So why prolong all these more weeks and months of suffering when she could just not be suffering? Yeah. And what... And her story was, should be told. Yeah, I agree. And it, w- it was a struggle also because the government regulations say that, you know, 20 weeks is that cutoff. It's a hard cutoff. Um so we really didn't get to spend that time with her that we wanted, you know, even though she was in the womb and, and everything and because of her broken bones, like her movements were becoming more and more faint all the time. Yeah. It's the fact that we didn't get to spend time with her is not fair. Um, and it's because yeah. a government says that you can't do that. Um, you know, when, people are talking, you know, late term abortions is a very hot, hot discussion right now. And the thing is that women who are getting to this point, we, there's my cat, (laughs) 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 are getting to this point. Don't, you know, it's not something that we want. It's something that we have, have to have because we have no other option. Right. So it's just, I think that, you know, because it's typically for a medical reason. It typically is at at that point. And, you know, it's just, it's the whole thing is just hard. (laughs) And, you know, when I think about how lonely I was because I couldn't tell her whole story um, for years and years and years, And finally, in 2021, I started writing out what happened from anything, you know, into the book. Um, And it took me only six months to write it because it all just came pouring out. It just felt like the truth was just 
coming out of me. And, you know, when, you know, Amazon p- picked the book up and said, yeah, well, we're going to publish it. <laughs> I was like, you're going to what? <laughs> um, I, I, I had to do a truth tour with, or at least that's what I kind of coined it as um, yeah. with loved ones. Um, the only people that knew about what really happened to hope were my parents because they supported, they financially supported it to happen. A, mm-hmm. a abortion at 18 weeks cost $2,400. Again, I was working for a nonprofit. We did not have $2,400 just laying around. My husband yeah. worked for the school district. Like it just, <laughs> right. Um, so between my parents and then also the Kansas abortion fund providing us with a scholarship, um, that was the only way we were able to afford it. Um, so, you know, it just, the truth tour was hard because we have very conservative families. We live in Missouri, um, and have family that, you know, from Kansas and have close friends from Kansas. So I'm like, what is going to happen when I, when I say it out loud? So did, so they didn't know any, like, they didn't know how she, did they know you were pregnant? They knew I was pregnant. They knew that she had osteogenesis imperfecta type two. Um, what they didn't know was that we had an abortion as opposed to just miscarrying. Oh, okay. Because we just, you know, we were already suffering and grieving. Yeah. And you didn't need- we didn't need to take on somebody else's shame. Um, so if, if there was shame there, you know, now that we, you know, it's been, man, it's been five years <laughs> and it's crazy to think about. Um, but since t- saying it out loud, um, and telling them what happened, they've been incredibly supportive and loving about the whole thing. And, you know, it just, it's amazing to put like how, how much it's set us free, um, to be able to share. Um, and what came from it, from saying it out loud was how many other women, people, um, were in the same boat. Because yep. one in four women will have an abortion in the United States. And those women don't have support. And the more, you know, it came closer and closer to when my book was going to be launched, the more loud I was starting to hear what I call the silent scream from other women. And that's that we are, we are suffering and we are screaming for help, but it's yeah. been silenced by the media, by our government, by this resounding hush that says that we don't talk about that. And that's why the From the Green Desk was founded, is because we do talk about that. We, do, we um, I myself am a coach that works women through because at the time that I had my abortion, I couldn't afford traditional, um, psychology. Um, and luckily we had found a therapist, um, that did pro bono work and really supported us, um, and worked with us. But 
the thing is that I, you know, there was so much support that I needed. And so from the green desk is that support. So it's individual coaching with me, it's group therapy with a licensed therapist. Um, it's also, um, I've got a blog that's starting and really starting to take off as well as, um, looking at launching a podcast at the end of March. Um, so you, That's so exciting. Yeah. So really trying to help people immerse themselves in therapy and part of, you know, if you subscribe to our newsletter um, each week, you'll get a journal entry so that you'll be able to build your grief journal. Um, And that, that is whether you're grieving because like, like you've been in a car accident, you're grieving a lifestyle that you had before you had that car accident. Yep. People are grieving children. They're grieving um, abortions. They're, people are grieving all sorts of things. So if you subscribe to that newsletter every week, you'll get a different journal prompt to help. Oh, that's amazing. That. So. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I know it was probably hard at times and difficult. Um, I give you so much credit just for everything you're doing. It's so important and we need to advocate for not only ourselves, but for the people that feel like they can't. Yeah, absolutely. The the more I can encourage other women to tell their stories, the better. Um, Right now there's a lot of copycat laws going around Um, Kansas, Oklahoma, um, Ohio, there, you know, there's lots of them that are copying what Texas is doing. It's disgusting. It, yeah, it's, it's awful. And the thing is that, um, the louder we scream and the more we take ourselves off mute to tell our stories, it humanizes what they're making laws about. Um, so I encourage women to do that. Something that I'm doing right now, is we're in the middle of what I call the 50 state challenge. Um, I saw that. Yeah. So it is a um, small fundraiser. Um, I am buying my books at cost and shipping them to um, two senators and a governor in every state um, to spread the word and the narrative about abortion as essential healthcare and how they should be doing better by people. And, um, you know, I, if, if you're out there and you're like my state or XYZ state needs to hear the real narrative about what's going on. Um, you know, it's, it's $30 per state (laughs) to get it going. So, um, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not a lot for individual people to do, but for me to do it all by myself, it's going to be a little hefty. Yeah. (laughs) um, I just, before, um, you know, the protests happen in May and the votes happen June through August, I want them to hear our scream. I want, you know, all the way up at the top. I love that. Well, to shift gears a little bit, um, we're going to play a game. Okay. And I'm going to ask you five questions. They're rapid fire. And you just give me your best answer. Okay. Sounds great. Um, favorite drink of choice? Whiskey Coke. Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what's your favorite movie or TV show or both? Oh, goodness. Um, and it could be what you're watching right now. It could be an all-time favorite, whatever you want. I do love me some Ted Lasso. But my guilty pleasure show is Vampire Diaries. 
That is pretty good. I, I yeah. love them. Oh, they're such a good looking cast. I, I love shows with like a really good looking cast. Yeah, yeah my, <laughs> my husband's always like, is everyone beautiful on the show? And he's yes. the one that introduced it to me. So, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, advice to your younger self. Um, tell people about what really happened to Hope sooner. Because it will, it'll take a weight off of you. Yes, so true. Um, five words to describe yourself. Ooh. Well, I've got my six values behind me. We can do that. I will let yes. you have six. Yeah. Um, so purposeful, innovative, courageous, at ease. Um, oh, goodness. Now what? Compassionate and celebrated. I love that. And the last one is, what does success mean to you? Success for me is making sure that women have the strength and the tools to be able to share their narrative, no matter what it is. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And where can we find you, your book, your website, whatever you want? Absolutely. So our website is from the green desk.com. Uh, you can find my email there. Um, you can also find all of our social tags there. Um, my uh, goodness, my Instagram is at from the green desk with underscores in, the, in between. And then I also have an author page on Facebook, uh, Kelsey Walker. Um, so come give us a follow. Um, see what we're doing next. And uh, if you're out there listening and you need someone to talk to, please reach out. I'm more than happy to lead you through what you're going through. Well, thank you again. And she, um, all of her links will be in the description below. This was another episode of Hey Alexa. And thanks once again, Kelsey, for sharing your story. Um, yeah, thank you so much it was, for having it's me. It's needed. So thank you. All right, everyone. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.